ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and friends beyond the binary, it's time for the podcaster uh, that's here to uh, put you to sleep. We do it a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, uh, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest. Uh, whoops, uh, like, uh, hey, patrons, I got it mixed up there. I'll be saying that to you soon. Thanks for supporting the show. Tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that's here to put you to sleep uh, or help you fall asleep. Uh, we do it the bedtime story, or I guess be here while you fall asleep, maybe that's what, like, uh, but anyone, we do it the bedtime story, all you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights and press play, I'm going to do the rest, what I'm going to try to do is create a safe place, a safe aesthetic, I guess. Uh, aesthetically ple- I don't know if this place is aesthetically pleasing, uh, but it's di- designed aesthetically to please. Uh, believe me, uh, I'm a ple- I, I do p- please, uh, please, please let me get back on track here. But please just barely lend me your attention. What I'm going to do in order to create a safe place, there's a bit of goof, uh, goofing, yeah, but I'm going to send my voice across the deep, dark night. I'm going to use lulling, soothing, creaky, dulcet tones, pointless meanders, uh, like uh, to, to, to twists, like b- b- slow bends, no twists. Uh, unless you can see, you know, there's like a, there's like a twist of lime and a twist of lemon. I can't drink sparkle, like usually I consume about... Uh, 4,000 sparkling beverages, I guess probably a month, not a day. I was going to say a day, but that would be a little over the top. But there is nothing better than a twist of, uh, actually, it's not a twist, though. It's always, a, it's a squish of lemon or lime. And uh, what, was, what was my point? My, mine is a, a twist. Okay, here you go. Here's another autobiography I'll write one day. A twist of madness, uh, but then twist would be crossed out and there'd be a subtitle. Actually, it's more of a squish, or I guess you could say pinch, but you're actually just pinching the skin so the juice comes out. Also, what the heck with the lemon, lemons with the seeds? How do people deal with those seeds? That could be in parentheses. Like, do I have, like, because then I don't want to put, like, like then I don't have to put something over the glass because then I got to wash that, like a screen or something. And and then also, what the heck, lemons? Uh, also, do limes have seeds, or is that like something that uh, has been genetically removed? So that's probably not so great. Maybe put that in the uh, sub to like uh, the footnotes with the star. Here's a question. Here's a question that it was unintentionally made me laugh. Uh, here's a question. Can you put questions in the in the footnotes? Uh, they say, not in a book, Scoots, because you're supposed to be the authority. Here's a question. Could you put? Could you have a ghost write, have your footnotes be ghostwritten by people you ask questions to? Here's another question for the footnotes. Can you crowdsource the questions you're asking in your footnotes? Sleep with me. Now with footnotes. Uh, but like, uh, could you have, oh, here's a question. Uh, unintentional. Uh, can you have unintentional foot? Ac- the accidental footnote. That's a, that's a story right there. Well, somebody remind me if I don't tell that in the next three months. That is definitely do- a doable episode. But tonight, uh, if you're a new listener, let me get back to. Excuse me for that. Uh, There's a little mini tangent I just went on. That was just that was just a, that was more of a dollop of madness, uh, or like a. It, or as we say around here, these parts in a moose bouche, uh, where it's barely amuse it, but like it just barely amu- amuses you, just like an amuse bouche. Uh, I've tried to get that on a shirt, but it doesn't work. Mostly because most of the shirts I make are handwritten T-shirts, uh, bespoke T-shirts. Uh, you can't read the writing, and I'm not good at centering shirts, and the shirt's always moving can't keep the shirts down when I'm writing either, and I'm left-handed, so that, like, creates smudging. Here's a claim to fame. I don't usually make claims to fame in the intro, but I, there's, there hasn't been an ink that's, uh, that I haven't been able to smudge with my left hand.
And uh, let me talk, maybe I'll come back to that because, like, the great, I mean, I think I talk about it every one or two years, the great erasable ink controversy. Like, luckily, most of you are too young to remember or weren't, weren't born yet. Uh, but anyway, if you're new, here's here's the thing. Clearly, you don't really need to pay attention to me too closely or this shouldn't be gripping stuff. But it's here to keep you company. I'm going to be here to take your mind off of stuff and... Like, like it with my sieve like grip, let you s- 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 sieve through it or whatever and drift off into dreamland. So, you don't need to pay attention, but you also shouldn't feel any pressure to fall asleep. I'll be here for at least an hour to keep you company, and uh, like I'll be giving you my full attention. Or, well, I'll give you, give, yeah, I'll be here. I'll be here just like if I was sitting at the foot of your bed. I'm your friend, your boar friend, your boar bay. Uh, whatever you feel comfortable calling me. No, you know, you could just call, you don't have to. Don't call Call me maybe. I've heard that before. But then they, then I hear, it, like, maybe not. Uh, call me maybe, maybe not. Uh, uh, I actually had a dream. Never mind, I don't want to get into my dreams, but I did have a dream with maybe in it. It was, it was, a, it was a plutonic dream. Don't worry, Mom. Anyway, if you're new here, there's a, I think that's all you need to know. Oh, structurally, first six minutes to show our business. Uh, if you're new, not, you probably missed that. Thanks for sticking around through it. It's a sleep podcast, so we got to do it up front. So if you're new, don't worry. Uh, if you're, you need to get to the story, the timestamp should be in the show notes. But if you're a regular listener, that stuff's critical for you to remember, like when you open the fridge tomorrow, uh, you know, if you really rely on the podcast. Yeah, after the business, what we're halfway through or so is about uh, is an intro where I ramble, usually pick a topic, try to twist it into, squeeze it, squish it into a metaphor about the podcast. And then we'll have a story for about 40 minutes or so and then some thank yous at the end of the show. But yeah, so I'm left-handed. And I don't know how many people are my age, which would be, you could say, like, I, I mean, I, I'm right on the 40 area. But anyone, anyone anywhere from like about 32 probably to 48, I would say, you live through, like, now you, anybody that's younger, you, you've actually gotten good technology as a youth. And, and a lot of you have grown up with it. We, you know, we got we got to experience it. But back when I was a kid, this was the biggest technology, and it was it, it was like it was a scam. I guess here, there you go. I'm saying it right out, right up front, at the beginning of the podcast. It, there was a time, and it's you know, maybe only left-handers could attest to this. Uh, they came out with this thing when I was in grammar school called uh, erasable ink. Uh, they called it. Uh, and the pitch was that I remember it, which is wrong. Like they said, hey, forget number two pencil. How about you, forget, you know, do, do number two it right into the garbage. We have the newest thing and forget those pencils. Uh, those are lead pencils, right? And they say, no, no, it's graphite, actually. Well, anyway, we got this ink, uh, experimental, you know, tested on paper. It's erasable and it's going to change the world. Because now you can make mistakes and erase them just like you had. A, like, I don't know. I just said, this is the one thing I didn't understand. And I was a cynical kid. I said, well, what the heck's the difference? Then? Well, you could erase it just like it was a pencil, but it's ink. And I said, yeah, but the whole idea, I tried to sit down with an imaginary, uh, you know, corporate figure. There was the pen, pen dude. And I said, yeah, but the whole idea of ink is it's permanent. Like, what in the heck... Uh, what the heck is this race? Like, are you losing? And they say, well, pencils are too, like, uh, the margins on pencils are awful, you know, because of the generic. And I think this co- these companies went into the healthcare industry after the great erasable ink thing because uh, they said there's too many generic pencils and, pen, you know, pen industry stagnant. This was before the great gel pen, you know, and, the, you know, that whole thing. But that was the environment I was raised under. Does sounds, I mean, could, could you imagine? Okay, here's the thing. It wasn't, like, not only, it was erasable, and I did like the erasers. They were gray to erase erasable ink or something. But again, holy, like, uh, I would love to see some, I wish, I wonder if YouTube has 80s comedians. 
Did Jerry Seinfeld ever do a bit about erasable ink? He probably did. What? This erasable ink? I don't. I can't do a Jerry Seinfeld, but uh, Jerry Seinfeld was a, like very famous, by the way, young people. I'm sure you've heard of him in the hit. Oh yeah, the history of uh, 1990s is on CNN. I'm only partially kidding, but so this erasable ink thing way more important. Seinfeld. This is I mean, maybe a cover up. Uh, was if you were left handed, the stuff smudged. Like, terribly. You would get home from school, and there was a short time, and I think this might have been, you know, subsidized, uh, that everybody had these erasable pens. There was a, It was a time where it was the adopted way to do things. And I'm not talking—I don't know if there was teacher payouts. You teachers deserve to be bribed and paid out, by the way. If any industry deserves it, it's, it's all of you. So I don't know if this was happening back then. Probably not, because you, you always get the short end of the stick. You just get the blame from people like me. But this stuff would smudge, like I would get home from school and I usually used a blue, I would smell of blue ink and my whole arm, my whole forearm would be covered in blue ink. And any paper I turned in, it went from illegible uh, to like, uh, it just was covered in this like blue, like a, like a kind of like, a, like where you do your fingerprinting in the movies, you know, like covered in prints and everything. I don't know. I wish I had uh, like a like a good way to sum this up. Other than here's the thing: easy, like a race blank. It was a ripoff. Uh, I don't know if that made it into the CNN 1980s or 90s thing. Uh, but me, like I'll tell you, you know who could, you could ask is Wolf Blitzer. I don't know if Wolf Blitzer's left left handed. Here's a question: What CNN anchors left handed? Get if you're listening, let me know. I wonder if Anderson Cooper's left-handed. I don't know. But it, like one of them would back me up uh, if they're if they are left-handed, and they'd say, "Oh boy," because I think Anderson Cooper's around my age. Maybe he's. Uh, I don't know. I guess I don't have a point other than uh, the, the benefit of me smudging all that ink is that if somehow you know it it, it uh, stuck with me. And my brain got a bit smudged, and when stuff's smudged, like, it takes a harsh edge off. And uh, while it makes it less legible, it, this podcast is not quite legible anyway. Earwise, auditorily ineligible. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's what, that's what I'm here for. So you can kind of listen, but you don't have, but, like, you don't have to strictly listen. You don't have to listen closely. You don't have to make sense of this because, you know, but I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here to keep you company. I'm going to be here to, to barely make you smile, to take you down memory road. There's a, here's a memory. Like, there, there's a memory we could all agree to erase, erasable ink. Uh, don't don't remember it. If I ever became, like, the national historian, that's what I said. Like, uh, like I proclamate uh, here on this here date, uh, 20-17 or whatever, Raceable ink never existed. Uh, they say actually, raceable ink sales have spiked, uh, and I say, well, that's just a, it's a retro thing. It'll go. Well, Scoots, we took. Uh, you know what little money you do have? You know that two thousand dollar IRA you've been sitting on. We put that into a raceable ink stock, and it's uh, never. I, oh, did I tell you I love race? Tonight's episode sponsored by Raceable Ink. The ink. That doesn't stink, erasable ink, because you can get rid of it. Not like a pencil with a, with its sharpening and stuff. This is erasable ink. Erasable ink, the ink that cares. Uh, and you know what you shouldn't erase? Uh, erasable ink's going to help you erase is uh, trouble getting asleep. I'm here to keep you company. This podcast doesn't work for everybody like erasable ink does, but it does like... Uh, I'm sorry, there's like erasable ink uh, people standing here watching me record. Because erasable is not, like, this podcast is almost as good as erasable ink. This, okay, uh, this podcast is somewhat similar to erasable ink, and uh, it doesn't care care for you like erasable ink does, but I do care. So I'm here to keep it going. It doesn't work for everybody, like I said, like that erasable ink. Uh, but give it a few tries. Uh, give All you got to do with erasable ink is give it one try. Erase it and then go again. Erasable ink. It helps keep you, uh, what's that term everybody loves to use? Where you bounce, but resilient. Erasable ink. It puts the resilience in resiliency.
this podcast just helps you fall asleep. Uh, so give it a few tries. I'm glad you're here. I really hope and I really yearn to write and erase the link and help you fall asleep. Good night. All right, hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of After the Glass a Slipper, the story of uh, what happened to Cinderella's uh, stepmother uh, after Cinderella, after the whole glass slipper thing, and then Cinderella became princess. Eventually, she became queen. And her stepmother, she had a lot of adventures in season one and season two. This is season three, where she is like a, a professor or teacher, co-teacher, uh, teaching like uh, something about like legends and villains and myths of uh, uh, the fairy culture. And uh, she's also a pit of lentils. And I did not mis- mispronounce that. She is a pit, P-I-T, of lentils. Uh, that thing that I'm, I think it's a legume, but it could it's not a caper, but it's not a bean. It's a lentil. It looks like it should be in pea soup, but it's not. It's a lentil. But she's a pit, pit of lentils, kind of like a swimming pool of lentils, more or less. Uh, but she's still imbued with her conscious human consciousness and her personality or everything. This is still, this is still her first go-through, too, as a human, human lentil uh, being at this point. And she's teaching a class uh, to a bunch of students uh, with another teacher. I guess that's everything. This is like a, it's an, it's an, it's like an episodic series. It's uh, like, um, and I forget, and this isn't on purpose. Every episode, I forget what it, what it's called. Uh, kind of like, a, like a lesson, like you could squeeze in any time. Uh, so you can listen to these episodes in any order. And I think that's it. Uh, her, her other teacher's name is Shelly, who she's from, uh, she was originally a fairy. Oh, let me talk about the fairies just for people that don't. So fairies were like the fairy godmother. Obviously, you don't, like, you come from your own kingdom. of Like a fairy, they lived in the fairy kingdom for a long time. Also, I'm not a historian myself, but so... And apparently, like at least from what we know about the fairy godmother, is her job was to make things better, to help things. And she helped Cinderella. And then even afterwards in season one and season two, she was helping Cinderella, helping humanity. Now, humanity and some other stuff kind of got in the way. So the fairy kingdom originally was separate from the human kingdom, but they would interact uh, as the fairies have followed their mission uh, to help do what's right, more or less. Uh, it didn't work out so hot for them, so now they're integrated with uh, hum- human humans. Uh, I think this, I don't know if this is the Middle Ages. I do not know those things. This is, uh, like, I'm just reporting on the information I have. So now everyone lives together, which isn't easy. You know, you, you had your own, like, uh, thing. You, you had a very clear mission, now, for the past, whoever knows, like, everyone's been living together. So this class uh, is kind of like a, like a chance for them to kind of, like, uh, retain and rediscover some of the myths of uh, the fairy kingdom. Kind of the human kingdom sometimes, too. And I believe that's it. So uh, here's another episode. Uh, and we have a celebrity introducer here. Narrator. It's the, it's the ladies and gentlemen. The boys is the girls, the friends beyond the binary. It's time for another episode with my favorite character, Agatha. It's time for After the Glass Supper, Tinkle Tinkle Tea. Pretty pretty good. Just There's a little mouth noise on it. So next time, try to eat an apple before you come in. And also, do you want to play a game of Munchkin before you leave? Oh, yes, I love I love card games. Uh, thank you. Okay, the, Antonio Banderas. Thanks, everybody. Okay, hello, my little man. I'm home, and you are sleeping, and the baby is sleeping, and is we did we did I did not. I'm very tired today. For today's class was very long, and we heard another wonderful story. Though this one took place here in our world, uh, and it was a, it's an interesting tale, my little man. Let me just lie down next to you here on the bed. 
You know, it has been a while since I've looked out this window and across the ramparts uh, uh, to the great uh, fields north of here. What a view in the blue water and the eastern horizon. Just at this time of day, I can see some mist growing at the far end. And it's sleepy here in this room, and even outside, it's a bit warm today. And there's one of those warm breezes that, uh, if it's at the back of your neck, it makes your neck both clammy and sweaty at the same time. But, oh, was this a tale. Uh, it was the tale of, they, 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 they call it, uh, I think this is a famous one. I've heard, I heard a version of it uh, as a young child even. And the children had gathered and uh, uh, they, they, they told this tale. And I guess because, it, like, uh, it, I think it goes by the girl who lost uh, all colors, even though that's not, or the girl who lost the bird song. Or the girl who couldn't smell sweets. So there's other versions. Uh, the girl without colors. The girl with. It's not the girl without sweets, though. The girl that could not hear the bird song. And the fairy version is very close. I think it. They. 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 This was one. It was interesting. Now Shelley handled this in the last office hours that she had without scheduling with me, which, you know, Shelly and I will discuss privately. But a few children, you know, children are meeting with Shelly to discuss their interviews, and some are meeting with me. And it just so happened that a few of the children that were interviewing were, in, were getting the same story, this story. So a large number of class were presenting together, and I was very proud of how they did and to be honest, I was very proud of Shelley because this was really a team effort and it really came together nicely. Now, this tale happens, as so many do, in a kingdom just as similar to ours, very similar. And outside of the castle that, you know, and the, the king, which we don't, we, I mean, I guess we have a king. The shepherd boy is our king. But, well, he's not a king. Cinderella's queen, and he's married to... Just because you're married to a queen doesn't make you a king. He's a king in my eyes. But uh, but anyway, this does not start at the castle. It starts outside the castle. And in a thin set of woods, there was a nice cottage where, like, a woodcutter lived. And he was a woodcutter. He sold wood. He He seasoned wood. He had a deed for sections of the forest, and he, he planned out the wood that was used in some of the royal hearths, and uh, he actually had a different selection. He had, he had a whole wood thing going. Uh, but he was, it was, it was a, was a one-man operation, and it was exhausting. Uh, and to be honest, uh, like uh, they don't pay for wood what they used to, especially when the castle gives you the deed. It's kind of like you're more like a caretaker of the castle's wood, like a wood chopper, a woodcutter. I guess that's what he was. He was a woodcutter. He wasn't an entrepreneur. Remember my friend Clifford? He was into those entrepreneurs. I mean, I'm sure he could have been. And I think this this was, again, this uh, this uh, need, a bit, bit like the sliver, the 33, 33, 33, and 1%, uh, that sliver of percentage we all have inside uh, that— uh, nothing fits into. Well, he was out there chopping wood one day, and he had a nice family. He had a wife, and he had a young daughter. And I don't know how the daughter was uh, older than the children in my class, uh, but not a woman, and uh, not a burgeoning woman either. So I don't know, but she was not a toddler. So whatever age that is, a bit like a little bit younger than Gonzalo when I first met him. Uh, And whatever, he was out chopping wood, no, not chopping down trees, chopping wood. Those are two separate operations. When you're a woodcutter, there's the cutting down of the wood. He was do, getting pre, pre-seasoning, prepping, cutting for seasoning. And that could be very hard work. And he was working hard. And then a traveler came by, a traveler in a cloak, 
And the traveler said, ah, good day. And then and, and, uh, the woodcutter was cutting the wood. And he said, oh, hello, traveler. Could I get you a drink? And the traveler said, that would be nice. Uh, and he, he chopped in the traveler said, you must have very strong shoulders and arms. And you're probably pretty accurate with that uh, with that axe, aren't you? And the, the woodcutter said, I have, you know, I'm known to be... Uh, chop a thing or two uh, all day long, and they had a laugh about it. But something was uneasy about this traveler. It was too hot for the cloak. It was just the, uh, also a very tall, a very tall traveler. Not like the traveler, the god, the traveler that the, the very people believe in, but, but believe me, it'll, it'll pay off in one second to let a man as you sleep. And the, the traveler said, are you a gambling man? Like uh, the woodcutter said, I don't know what you mean. And there was a nice table made from uh, a chopped down tree that they were drinking the water at. And uh, the uh, the traveler brought out a one dice, a six-sided die, and rolled it uh, he said, I'd, I'd like to, uh, would, would you like to gamble and, and, and uh, like to play a dice game? And the the woodcutter said, well, what, 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 what are the stakes? Uh, and the traveler said, well, I'm very hot in this winter cloak in the summer. So I'd be willing to take, uh, he goes, there's a light cloak inside your home. The, the light cloak and whatever's underneath it, uh, uh, I would be, I would like that. So if I win the game, I would like to uh, to get that. And then the, the woodcutter said, well, uh, well, what would I win? And uh, the, the traveler said, riches beyond your wildest dreams, riches enough uh, that you'll never have to chop wood again. The woodcutter said, well, it sounds like a trick. What, what, what are we going to do? And he said, well, he pulled out another dice, uh, the traveler. He said, well, roll the dice, and whoever gets the highest number wins. And the woodcutter thought about his wife's summer cloak, uh, kind of laughed, uh, thinking it would be very short on the the traveler, and then thought about where it was hanging inside his home. And he knew that it was hanging on this cloak rack uh, that his wife had made for him ten birthdays ago, right after they had gotten married. And he loathed that, and he had to chuckle to himself because it was the most. Uh, he it was never the wood was never sanded down, so he was always getting cuts, and the cloaks were always getting stuck on it because uh, the wood had never been sanded, and it was incredibly. Uh, unattractive, especially to a woodcutter. And so he laughed, and he said, well, if we both roll the same dice, what happens if we roll the same number? And uh, the, the traveler said, good question. It'll be a draw, and we will both win. And then uh, the woodcutter said, are we going for the highest number or the lowest number? And the traveler said, well, why don't you choose? And the woodcutter said, fine, fine, I, I, I'll choose the, the, the highest number. And then the, the traveler said, do we have a deal? And the woodcutter said, we do. It sounds fair enough. Uh, and they rolled the dice, and the dice rolled and made a clicky, clicky sound that echoed through the trees, and birds took flights. And the, the woodcutter got a chill and looked down and saw that both dice had landed on one, one and one. The woodcutter couldn't speak for a moment because it didn't know something like uh, didn't expect. And the, the traveler said, "Well, we've both won. Uh, I, 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 I will go arrange for all the riches to be in your home, and then I'll be by in seven years to pick up uh, the cloak and whatever's beneath it." And the woodcutter laughed and said, well, as soon as I have the, the gold and the rich stuff, you could have And the traveler was gone. And then the woodcutter headed to his home. And as soon as he opened the door, he saw a chest full of gold. And his wife said, this is, I came out to, to, to greet you and see who you were speaking with. And I found this chest of gold sitting here. 
And she said, it's full of, it's a chest full of gold, real gold. And she was biting on the gold. And uh, the woodcutter couldn't believe it. He said, well, he did keep his luck, uh, the traveler. And she said, whatever do you mean? And he told her how the traveler had shown up. He showed kindness and given the traveler some water. And the traveler wanted to play a game of dice. Uh, and uh, and she said, well, what was the bet, sir? And he said, for your summer cloak and whatever was beneath it. And all the color left his wife's face. And she said, goodness. And he said, he said, yeah, for a cloak. And he goes, that cloak rack. Uh, and she goes, she goes, and you, you were to win all this gold. And he said, yes. And she said, thank goodness you won. And he said, why? And he said, your, she said, your daughter was making a fort with the cloaks today. And she made a little tent and she's been playing under my cloak all day long. And the, 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 the woodcutter fell to his knees. She said, well, what are you? She goes, you won. He goes, no, it's a draw. We both won. And he said, he said, he'll be here to come in seven years. And his wife said, that was no traveler. It was Basil Bob. And I guess Basil Bob is who the fairy, like the fairy people's version of uh, an underworld figure, a powerful underworld figure. In the traveler said, the, 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 the woodcutter said, you're right, it was Basil Bob, and I've been fooled. Uh, but we have seven years to prepare and to figure out a solution. And they went around, and, and for seven years, for the first year, they asked everywhere, and they spent their money trying to find, and the money never ran out of it, just to answer that question in case you're asking, is your sleep letter man? And they consulted magic, and they consulted things, and there was nothing. Anyway, they said, well, if this is true, in seven years, Basil Bob will come. And then finally, they spent another year consulting, and finally, they found one wise person who said, well, what you need to do is prepare your daughter, for Basil Bob is crafty, but Basil Bob is not perfect. So prepare your daughter for seven years from now. And if she can outsmart Bezelbob, if she can outcraft Bezelbob, uh, like, uh, then, then she, she, she may retain her freedom. And the father said, oh, thank goodness. So the next years as the daughter grew, she retained all sorts of training, uh, lessons in trickery, Lessons in movement and dance and the arts of marshals, uh, all sorts of lessons to, to, to make a mind as steely sharp, but as malleable and flexible. And she had all the best instructors from all. She traveled the world, but they also all knew that the day would come when Basil Bob came and seven years hence on the same day. Uh, she was as ready as she could be. And Bezel Bob arrived and called uh, to the woodcutter, woodcutter, I'm here. I hope you plan on keeping your end of the bargain. Now, there's two other things I forgot to tell you, little man, about the, uh, about dealing with Bezel Bob, just in case you need to yourself, uh, if you know, one uh, at least in this very myth, uh, Bezel Baba cannot be out uh, past uh, only during a dusk, uh, dawn to dusk. Uh, and then Bezel Baba has to go away or something. The power, you know, the power to walk only in daylight, which is strange, you know, to me. I said, wouldn't it be the opposite? And all the fairy children or the ch children with one fairy parent, they laughed at me like I was a fool. They said, you don't know anything about Bezel Baba, do you? And I said, Basil, Basil, I said, interesting. But I said, you're so interesting with your beliefs. They, so the other thing is that Basil Bob loves a challenge and a gamble. And that this, this is the sort of thing driving. So he called, and the, the daughter, she stood in a, she came out, and Basil Bob said, I want your daughter to stand in this circle. He said, oh, she's a fine young woman now, you know. And the daughter said, Bezel Bob, she said, Father, leave us. 
mother, leave us alone. And she said, Vessel Bob, you've, you've paid my father for a fool, but you've kept up your end of the bargain. And now you just expect me to go along uh, and to suffer my father's foolishness, don't you? And Vessel Bob said, I do. It is not fair, but that is uh, like, uh, you know, think of you, you, you were a child. And, and she said, silence, Vessel Bob. She said, I could fulfill the bargain and go along with you. But there won't be a day, you know, that, that I don't do my best to, to make it, you know, as, as awful as I can for you. And I attempted to leave and I attempted to turn all your, be, you know, Bessel fans or whatever against you. She goes, oh, you could uh, go for a competition. She goes, because you, if you think you're so smart to, to trick my father, it shouldn't be hard to catch me. And Bezelbob said, what do you mean? And she said, well, I'll hide here in the forest. Uh, but, uh, and if you could find me, uh, then, you, you know, and if you can't find me, then by, by the time dusk rolls around, it's over. And Bezelbob played hard and said, well, I've already, this doesn't seem fair. Uh, like, I only, ha- how about you give me three tries? And she said, hmm. I think Bezel Bob probably asked for six or ten, realistically, and then she agreed on three. And she said, okay, and then Bezel Bob said, one other thing. Like, I get to pick one other thing to help me find you. Otherwise, I'll never find you. This forest is just too big, and there's many places to hide. And she said, well, what, what, what is this thing? And Bezel Bob said, well, I have a very good sense of smell. And I could smell the sticky buns your mother's been cooking. So one, I'd like to eat one of those sticky buns. And two, I'd like you to keep a sticky bun in your pocket while you hide. And the girl said, okay, okay, let me go inside and get you a sticky bun. And, and, and uh, I'll, I'll carry one with me. And she went inside. And, you know, this girl, she, she was looking for, she said, mother, uh, call all, all my forest friends. Because she had learned, uh, maybe she called them. I don't know. I wasn't paying attention to this part because two of the boys were acting up. And I had to say, you know, if you're sitting, if you want to hear this story. But I think what I remember is that she, she called all the, maybe she called all the forest friends. She had learned even the language of the forest creatures. Oh, yes, in song and things. And so she said to them, each take a bun or a piece of a bun and spread out throughout the forest. Uh, and keep an eye out for Bezel Bob. And then she brought out a sticky bun for Bezel Bob, and she put one in the... Uh, she said, okay, Bezel Bob, count to 20 and see if you could find me. And she went in the forest and hid, but the forest was full of the sweet smell, and Bezel Bob spent the whole day into the evening looking for her and following sweet scents but never finding her. And Bezel Bob, you know, said, I'll be back tomorrow, and your sweets won't trick me then. And Bezel Bob came back tomorrow, and she said, Okay, Bezel Bob, uh, I'm going to hide again. And he said, No tricks with the sweets. Uh, no, no, not at this time. And Bezel Bob said, You must just sing. Like, uh, you can hide, but you must just sing the whole time. Uh, like, uh, like I've heard you singing. And she said, Okay, well, that's, uh, uh, okay, well, I guess so, uh, and then she said, no, that's like, uh, I, I don't know. Again, these, boy, these two boys, they just kept acting out. I said, please sit back. They were throwing paper. So I missed this part of the story. But I think it's like that game. Maybe Basil Bob said, I will sing, and then you must sing back to me. And then she said, you must be blindfolded, because that must be where that game comes from, where you call out, and then they, so that must be it. Uh, so she said, only if you wear a, a mask, Bezel Bob, I will answer your call and I will sing to your call. And Bezel Bob said, okay, okay. But then as soon as she ran into the forest, she called to the birds and she taught all the birds the song. And so Bezel Bob went on to the forest and called, you know, uh, uh, I don't know. I forgot. To, I didn't re- learn the girl's name because I was so irritated at the behavior in class today. But, you know, she said, uh, forest girl, forest girl. That's what the bezel bob would say. And she would sing, you know, sing her song. But all the birds would sing, too. And bezel bob at first thought it was an echo. 
and then figure so Basil Bob spent the whole time looking and, and never catching her and the dust came again. So then, uh, like, uh, like, uh, Basil Bob said, that is it. Uh, and Basil Bob had brought a dress for her covered in bright flowers, uh, for the third day, uh, flowers that stood out uh, among all the things, uh, uh, flowers not natural to this area. And Basil uh, uh, said, you'll wear this dress and I, there'll be no uh, mask or, you know, no, like, uh, hiding my eyes and no singing and no sweets. Uh, and uh, they were very bright flowers. But the amazing thing was that night uh, she'd had a dream and uh, she had, uh, of these flowers, uh, intervention of fairies, probably. That's what the fairies, that was one of the class discussions it did at one point in human history, uh, fairy assistance come from the dream world, uh, and I like like uh, Shelley had her own theories. I said I'm not interested in your theories, Shelley, but I said this is very interesting. So she had a dream, so she got out of bed, and again she called all her forest friends. And she covered everything in the woods in these bright paper flowers. Uh, I mean, she had to make them out of paper, but she was very artistic. Uh, and because of her father, I guess maybe not paper. Like, I think her father was chopping up wood chips and then painting them. I don't know. You know, again, I said, boys, uh, you, know, you know, this behavior. And in, in, in some of the other class was giggling. I said, stop this giggling. I don't need farting sounds in my class. Uh, and one boy said it was a natural one, and the other boy was doing it with his hands. And they said to him, do you like to cry? Because, they, like, the next farting sound I hear, I said, uh, I'll cry. The rest of the class, uh, they tricked them because they thought I was going to give them a cat. And I said, uh, he said, just please stop. This is an interesting story, please. Uh, so then the next, so Bezelbob never stood a chance this day. So the girl, she ran into the forest and Bezabob went into the forest, and it was covered in flowers. And right as dusk it came, Bezabob tried to trick her one more time and say, Come out, please. Come out. And, you know, you've beaten me. And the girl, in a sense, it was a trick, but she came close, but not close enough for Bezabob to trick her. And Bezabob could see, but he couldn't tell which of, like, Bezabob sensed she was close. And Bezelbob said, you tricked me again, uh, and I guess I cannot take you, uh, but, but, but what I will take from you is your ability to see colors, uh, to hear bird song and singing of any kind, and to smell sweets uh, if you won't come with me now. And she said, that wasn't part of our agreement. And Bezelbob said, you trickery. Uh, and it left me unpleased. Uh, and just as dusk was breaking, she said, I will not go with you. Uh, and then Bezelbob took away those things, so she lost her ability to see colors. She could only see in shades of black and white. To smell sweetness was gone forever, and her ability to hear song was all, also gone and uh, I think, oh, no, also Basil Bob said, unless your father comes along right now. And the father said, oh, well, well, that's what the father did. Yeah, well, he got all this gold. Uh, uh, and the daughter glared at her father, and, and dust came, and Basil Bob was gone. And the father said, oh, oh uh, okay. But it seemed like the father had waited, and the daughter said, father, father, I'll never smell another sweet again. I'll never see the color of the spring rose, and I'll never hear the songs of my forest friends. Uh, how could you know? And the father said, "But we have all this gold, my dear. Like I could make it better. You won't need a sweet uh, song or colors. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll move to the fight." And she said, "Father, I'm leaving today, uh, forever." And she took her skills into the forest. Uh, uh, but without her, she, she found she couldn't communicate with her forest friends. And then she found she, without knowing the colors, uh, 
she was kind of desperate to, to find, like, oh, is this good to eat or not? Uh, and so quickly, and even the water, like, she used to smell the water and look at the water to know, oh, this is good water to drink. Uh, so she was out in the forest, uh, and then she she called to, to her forest friends for help, but they could not answer because she sung to them, and they were telling her something. She couldn't make sense of it. She couldn't even hear it. Uh, uh, I think this was, again, it was interrupted by these children. I, I think that she said she felt terribly alone, you know. She thought her for, she couldn't hear her forest friends, even though they were singing to her. But, oh, the fairies, they heard her. The fairies of the forest. Now, these are the, four with an E, an A-I-R-E or something, uh, uh, so this is ancient, uh, like different than uh, fairy godparents, uh, but a similar forest of fairy magic. And they said uh, they guided her uh, to some berries to eat. And then the next day they guided her uh, to some water. But she said, oh, I need, you know, what now we would call protein, you know, like lentil, high in pro- Don't eat me, I told the children, but uh, very high in protein, lentils are, in fiber. But so she needed some of some of those things, and they said, "Well, there's a the, like a royal uh, shepherd here," and they led her to the stone wall. But the, this these were very protected sheep; even the sheep were numbered uh, because the king didn't want anyone messing with the sheep. And then she snuck in at night, uh, but she couldn't see the numbers, uh, and then she like helped herself to some sheep milk. Uh, and she was drinking the milk, uh, and she was bumping into the sheep because, it, like, because again, she was adjusting to this new eyesight, and she couldn't hear the jingling of the sheep's bells. Uh, and one of the shepherds saw her, but thought she was like maybe like they also saw the little forest fairies with her. And the next day, they they had to report to the king. The king was very protective of, of the king's sheep. Uh, and they said, what, there was a forest fairies and a, a, a fairy, an angel fairy woman. And the king said, I'll stay here tonight to see this from my own, my own eyes. Uh, and the next night the forest girl came in and she came and she was bumping into the sheep and like the sheep were bumping into her. And the king said, what is it? Like, who are you? Who are you? As she was drinking some sheep's milk, uh. And she says, are you a spirit or what? what uh, and the fairies flew away. And she said, I'm just a girl. And she told her whole tale of woe to this king. After, you know, first they said, well, you're a milk thief. But the king also said, you're the most beautiful milk thief I've ever seen. And I'm a single king. But I probably should just have you prosecuted for milk thievery. Why are you, why are you stealing my milk? Uh, and she said, well, there's 5,000 sheep here, you fool. That's what I would have said. She did not say that. She told a tale of woe to the king. And the king said, I think I had heard of uh, something with Basil Bob or whatever. He said, Basil Bob. Uh, and she said, Basil Bob, Basil Bob. Because uh, she'd been wandering. This was a little further away from her kingdom. Anyway, so the king said, well, uh, like, uh, you know, she said it was. Da- she was down. She said, "I can't see colors, can't smell sweets, can't hear song. I'm just going to live in the forest and drink off of you know." And the king said, "No, no, no. Like and now, I empathize with you and have compassion, and I've fallen in love with you instantly." The children they did not. They found this hilarious. So do I. They said the king doesn't even know her. Why would, it, would it, and then she became pregnant with a child. She became the queen. I guess, I guess she was the queen. We didn't really talk about that. Yeah, but she became pregnant with a child, which all the children said, well, how do you become pregnant again with a child? And I said, well, uh, Shelley, why don't you take that question? I said, we're here for the myth. To, and then someone said, from kissing and uh, whatever. One boy even said something to do with a scepter and a throne. I said, no, we are not talking about this. Uh, who was making those great farting noises? Go to do that farting noise again. But anyway, she was in love. She was pregnant with a baby. And then the king went off to war, like all fools do, and left a wife, a pregnant wife. And then the baby was born while the king was there. But the baby was born with a strange, like, uh, 
like a like a like a baby needed a special herb, uh, like a baby was not feeling good, uh, basically with a fever, and it just has so happened that the herb the baby needed uh, to just clear up the fever for good was off in this land where the king was fighting the war. And because his wife, she had spent so much training, she knew the, she said, this is the herb. You have to pick it when it's uh, this height in the tree and this color, uh, when it's this rosy red. So she, she sent him the letter and told him to wait uh, to pick the leaves and to send them back. Uh, and she sent the letter via messenger. But Bezelbob was not out of this tale just yet, uh, for Bezelbob had been watching all of this, and Bezelbob caught the messenger, uh, took the letter, and changed a few lines of it and sent it off. And the king read Bezelbob's letter, which told the king to take him off of a different part of the tree. The same herb, just a slightly different color, uh, like a different ripeness. And the king picked it and sent it back uh, with the messenger. And the baby took it, and the only thing was it helped the baby's fever. It just turned the baby to like a bluish color. No no other effects other than the baby was a blue color. And the queen was not happy. She sent a letter back to her husband, uh, but said, you know, there's no harm done. It's just our baby's blue, a little bit uh, weird, uh, but no big deal. And the king, the the Bezelbab, changed the letter again uh, to say, I'm, you know, something. Uh, but the king was in the middle of just getting this news uh, that uh, there was spies in the kingdom. So he sent, was sending a letter back to his wife. Uh, even though the Bezelbab had changed it, the king said, I still love you and the baby. I, I like, I'm sorry that there was a mix up. And because she couldn't see colors, she couldn't identify that the colors were different. That was the whole trick there. And the king said, you know, there's spies in the kingdom. You have to go hide. Uh, and then the king's advisors were like, you should just send this by Raven. And then this, said, the king said, okay, take this message down to the Ravenry, the falconry, and send it out then. And then Bezelbob was down there. And Bezalbab said, well, uh, it was a disguise. said, well, why would you send it by falconry? Uh, like the spies will just uh, take the message and change it. Uh, and they, they said, you're right, you're right. It'd be so easy to change a message. Uh, what would you do, uh, strange advisor? And Bezalbab said, well, uh, what about the bird song? Send it by some singing birds. Uh, that'll get the queen's attention, you know, because the king was keeping the queen all, you know, the, the people did not know she couldn't hear a song. And so they sent the birds, uh, like some singing birds. Of course, the queen never heard it, uh, so she never got that message. And then, of course, there was like a little a coup attempt. Uh, and the king had heard that his wife, like, so he sent another message. He said to tell her to escape, you know, uh. Meanwhile, they were sending, the Bezalbab was sending messages from her saying, I'm sick of you, I've joined the resistance, whatever. Like, uh, but Bezalbab's last message to the queen was, uh, like, basically the king's message, like, you go, there's a secret tunnel under the castle, uh, escape uh, and wait for me. But in reality, this tunnel was of Bezel's, Bezalbab's, uh, and she had set forth on it, and it was very dark, and she was with her little blue baby. And the, the king had said, go all by, you can't trust anyone at this castle. Uh, so she set off alone and went deep and went along, and she had brought it with supplies. Now, everyone that was raised in this place knows that the uh, the entrance uh, to Bezalbab's kingdom is lined with night flowers, so that the last thing you remember like a sweet, sweet memory of the smell of these night flowers before you cross into the next life, as they say, with Bezalbab. It kind of supposed to put you at ease, and so you let go of the past. Uh, but it's this sweet, sweet smell, and it's very dark, so you could just smell it. Now, she couldn't smell it, so she had no idea. She was like, okay, I think I'm getting closer, you know, away from whoever's against my husband, 
but she couldn't smell it, and she was crossing over into Bezelbob's world. Uh, but Bezelbob had gone, like, Bezelbob was so pleased once he saw her in the flowers uh, that Bezelbob went back to the castle because the king had won the war, and Bezelbob wanted to see the look on the king's face when he realized he had been played and maybe fit in some gamble with the king. So as the forest girl was crossing over, uh, standing at the edge of the field of flowers was a father who had gone like uh, to live with Bezelbob, basically, more or less. Uh, and the father said, stop, daughter. And she said, father, blah, blah. You know, and the father said, you're in the fields of uh, night flowers uh, crossing over. And she said, no, no, I can't be. And the father said, you are. And the daughter, you know, it was tough stuff. She said, you know, you... She goes, even my forest friend, and your father said, the forest friends never forgot about you. You just lost your ability to hear the song, remember? And she said, yes, but uh, and he, the father said, the forest friends all still believe in you and ask about you. Call to them and have them dig you a tunnel out of here, and I will dig from this end, for I am still strong. And the father, instead, instead of a, like an axe to chop wood, had a pick thing. So the father started digging into the side of the wall, into the earth, and, and on the earth, the deers and the moles and the birds and the, like, other, like all the other creatures, they started digging too. And her and her baby blue, they eventually got out, and they, went, they were deep, deep in the forest, and they went to hide because she still said, well, better off going to live alone. And the father had said, I left it like I had bought it, you know, I'd invested in some real estate. So here's a cab and I know is empty. Uh, goodbye. Now, meanwhile, the king got back and heard about, well, he said, where's my wife and my baby? My, and then the king's mother was there. She was a bit of uh, a mush. Uh, she said, well, where the heck have you been? Uh, and then she said, why'd you leave me to deal with the coup? And the king said, well, because I was hoping the coup would be upset, which it was. Uh, and she said, why were you so mean about your baby turning blue? Why did you send the wrong medicine? And the father said, I did not. Uh, and they kept discussing this, and they realized that Basil Bob had fooled all of them. And the mother said, and you don't respect your mother enough. You just don't, you were helping them escape, but not your mother. And the king said, uh, well, you're supposed to self-sacrifice your mother, you know. You're the heroine. Uh, but then they figured out, okay, these, like uh, they figured out Bezelbob's plan. So the king went down because uh, they had unearthed all the notes. Uh, so the king headed down the same path uh, that she— Now Bezelbob was beside Bezelbob's self, like saying, oh, now I'm going to catch the king. And the king goes down there and figures out, like, the whole, the king can see, smell the night flowers. And then he sees the hole. And the king had got there first. Uh, I don't know how that, I think his Bezelbob was behind the king and all the soldiers. And then the father said that she went up that hole. And the, Bezalbab, uh, the uh, king said, well, you, you were my daughter's father. You're the fool. The father said, well, help me help you. And, uh. Yeah, the king said, okay, I have an idea. And the king and his soldiers like, okay, go up that tunnel. And I'm going to see if uh, Bezelbob uh, get to the top of the tunnel. And she said, he said to the father, like, when we go up this tunnel, you know what I mean, father? And the father said, I think I do. And then Bezelbob came. Bezelbob was out of breath. Uh, Bezelbob. Uh, and the king said, where's my daughter? Blah, blah, blah. And Bezelbob said, probably down uh that, now, the, king, the girl's father was hiding, I think. Again, these boys were acting up the whole time. It was difficult. Uh, but uh, the king said, I bet you can't catch me to take me down there. And Bezelbob didn't quite see the hole yet. Uh, and Bezelbob said, you want to bet? And then the king ran into the hole. Bezelbob ran behind the king, surprised. Uh, and the king was quite spry. And then they, you know, everyone closed up the hole with Bezelbob inside as the king ran out. Uh, now, there was only a draw. You know, Bezelbob's not gone forever like we wish. Uh, but so the king escaped uh, and then said, where's my wife and my babe, my blue babe, blue, which many songs were written about this. Uh, but the king said, how will I ever find her, Noah? Because a lot of people want to be queen, you know, so the, 
someone said this to me, but uh, like you know, they may pretend they pretended to be his wife uh, as he started to search the world for her. So he developed a thing. He wore a great floral dress. Uh, then he carried all these wind chimes on a like a frame on his back, and then he was always uh, had pockets full of sweets. Uh, he also had kind of detached from reality a little bit, so he was just wandering like that. Uh, he was still in charge. He was still managing his kingdom somehow. Probably his mother was doing that, you know. She was probably right. And so he would go, and if someone said he was his wife, they would always have had a reaction to his dress or his smell of sweets or his uh, song. So he would be like, oh, you are not my wife, uh, and eventually he got tired one day and he was in the woods and he had almost lost hope. Uh, and he went to a home just to get some water and he knocked on the door and a woman answered and said, yes, can I help you? And the king said, I'd like some water. And she said, yes, I'll give you, she said, I'll even give you some water to bathe in outside. Cause you, and the king said, don't I smell so sweet? Uh, and she said, you do not, uh, and the king said, do you like my dress? And she said, it seems comfortable for a traveler. And then the king started to realize, and the king started to dance. Uh, and she couldn't see the king's back, but it was tingling and tingling like a song. Uh, all the chimes on the king's back, but she did not react. Uh, the king said, You're, do you have a blue baby? And she looked at him and he said, you are my wife, the forest girl. And she said, you are my husband, the one that, uh, you know, we, like uh, we got a, had a baby and then you went off to war. And you said, she said, it was Basil Bob. Uh, and uh, they, and uh, the, he told the tale and, and then they caught up uh, and then they went back to the kingdom and, you know, caught up with the mother uh, only to live happily, I guess, happily ever after. I don't know how, like, uh, you know, adjusted as you can be after all that uh it was a good class discussion, mostly about who, how who foolish humans are. So the children were able to point out all of the mistakes humans make commonly. Greed, gambling, easy answers, uh, like uh, e easy story choice. They said, well, that would be easy, like uh, rely too reliant on our senses, too reliant on, I don't know, so many things. But, oh, what a tale, uh, my leather man as I snuggle in behind you, and I go to sleep as well here on this bed, listening to the warm breeze ruffling my letterman. Good night.